Rebecca, and I am a Jane slash Madeline. I'm Carolyn, and I'm a Madeline slash Renata. I'm Teresa, and I'm a Jane slash Bonnie, and we're here talking about Season 2, Episode 5 of Big Little Lies called Kill Me. And we're going to start with Rebecca's recap. So this week, it's Jane who's getting that hazy flashback treatment to kick off the episode, and we get a couple of sound bites from Celeste, who's insisting that she's the one who pushed Perry, and Renata assuring them that nobody did anything. But as we all know, they sure did do something. So then we're treated to another stalwart scene in Big Little Lies, and that is Ed versus Nathan round, who even knows, I've lost count. Ed's back in the biking gear, which is appalling. Uh, Nathan concocts another portmanteau, this time nutfuck. And though this confrontation ends without any blows, Ed gets a good line in about choosing to be a nutfuck, but then ruins any momentum he has by bicycling away. Nathan gets a couple more nutfucks in before he awkwardly runs in the opposite direction, and they're both idiots, or rather nutfucks. Uh, next up, we've got a light and breezy child custody hearing with Scary Louise and Celeste. Mary Louise tries to play the sympathetic grandma card, but the judge, a.k.a. Hannah Horvath's mom, isn't having it. Unfortunately, Celeste is having it and lets Mary Louise poke a few holes in her calm, cool, and collected front. So Celeste, as one does, turns to Renata because everyone else is busy or because Celeste knows that some of the, she needs some of that big Renata energy in her life. Renata, serving all the fans, jumps at the chance to take a crack at Mary Louise herself. Celeste isn't quite convinced, but Renata is, because this is what she does. Their conversation, however, is cut short by the news that Renata has been unceremoniously cut from the Women on Top gig we saw her shooting in episode one, leading Renata to dip right back into that first wave feminism and declare the editors backstabbing sluts. Things go from bad to worse for Renata when she's visited at home by Mary Louise, who wastes no time commenting on their parking garage home's lack of furniture and the terrible tragedy of being a working mom. For once, Renata is bereft of any witty comebacks. Over at Otter Bay, some punk-ass kid insults Ziggy's name, says his mom is hot, and calls him a mistake and a pussy boy in all one fell swoop. Max and Josh are not about this and jog on over to use their violent energy for good. Uh, the psychopath kid isn't inaccurate when he calls the twins' dad a rapist, but that's all the push they need to literally push the bully and get a little chap and right fight club going on the playground. Somewhere in hell, Perry is proud. Of course, Jane and Celeste wind up in Principal Nipple's office, and all four kids get suspended. Jane confronts Ziggy about the incident, and though he tries to remember the first rule of Fight Club, he ends up spilling the tea. And Jane seems kind of proud of him. Celeste, on the other hand, is rightfully shook. She doesn't want her kids ending up like Perry, but now there's the extra heat on with the custody hearing. One of the kids calls Celeste a bitch. Celeste breaks down and ends up telling the kids about the custody hearing. Despite all that pizza last week, the twins do not want to go live with Scary Louise, and they vow to protect their mom. This leads to Celeste flatly refusing a joint custody agreement, which means we're going to trial. And as Celeste's lawyer rather obviously points out, Perry's death is going to be a real hot-button issue in this trial. Celeste summons the Monterey Five for another late-night parking lot rendezvous and shares that they'll all be called as witnesses. I, which leads me to wonder, has the show forgotten that Celeste was a lawyer? Because she's sure acting like she's never seen an episode of People's Court, let alone the inside of an actual courtroom. It's up to Renata to explain to the Monterey Five what perjury is, babe. Meanwhile, the McKenzies go to group therapy, where they're instructed to hug it out with anybody in the room. Ed and Madeline bond over this peak California weirdness and hightail it out of there. And on the drive home, Madeline swears that she won't cheat again, and any future fuck-ups will be brand new. Ed, salty as ever, thinks Madeline made him audition for the role of father instead of soulmate or lover, which tracks. Madeline claims she loves him more deeply than anybody, which nobody really buys, right? At the hospital, Bonnie is taking a nap and giving us a helpful montage of all the shit that's happened to her this season. Running, driving, stressing, swimming with bugs on, etc. Sky wakes her up when we learn that Elizabeth is doing better but still unable to talk, which kind of seems like it's for the best. Later, when Bonnie's in a, 
is courteously treating her mom to a sponge bath. She's a bunch of flashbacks of the childhood abuse she suffered in his mother's hands. Also a lot more drowning imagery. So Mbadi takes a break from hospital duty to teach singing yoga for sleep apnea, as one does. She's visited by her father. Bonnie's got some choice words for him because apparently he didn't protect her from Elizabeth's rage. And after getting a treadmill from Nutfuck Nathan, Bonnie winds up back at the hospital, only retreated to some A-plus nightmare fuel when Elizabeth regains her speech and instructs Bonnie to kill me. The episode wraps with Jane trying and failing to get it on with Corey and then venting her frustrations to Celeste while they take the boys kayaking during their suspension, which is not a reward for bad behavior, okay? And then we're in this week's closing montage, and boy, does this montage deliver. We got Renata and Amabella having a girls' day, Madeline drinking wine and reminiscing about sexier times with Joseph, Mary Louise sketchily watching Jane's apartment from the beach, Ed at a bar getting seduced by Tori while Joseph looks on, and finally, Bonnie driving to the police station only to witness creepy Corey walking out of the station. Dun, dun, dun. Thank you for that. Um, okay, so first we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the ice cream fight that wasn't. I didn't even bring it up in the recap because I'm still too curious <laughs> to talk about it. So for those of you who don't obsessively follow, you know, news stories and social media about the show, um, since before the new season even began, there's been this screenshot going around of... Reese Witherspoon about to hurl an ice cream cone at Meryl Streep's back. And we've all been waiting for it. And we got the scene that was cut from this week, but not the actual ice cream, the actual ice cream throwing. So it has come out in the press Mm -hmm. that she does throw the ice cream. Uh, Madeline does throw the ice cream at her. Uh, Reese Witherspoon said that it is that was the pinnacle of her career, getting to hurl an ice cream at uh, Meryl Streep's wig. Um, that was what she said. Um, and I guess uh, it has been uh, it is it has been documented now that that scene will be in the DVD extras, which is out. Who even owns a DVD player? Right? Is that a thing? Who buys DVDs? What's a DVD? Oh my! I don't know what a DVD is. This is that like a CD? HBO, get your shit together. Maybe put together HBO. I didn't even think they put out DVDs. Like this is crazy. It is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's 2019, gang. We are not buying DVDs. Um, If we subscribe to HBO, we for sure not buying the DVD. Like (laughs) I have no idea what their plan is with it. This DVD box set better be like. Filled with extra. Better have a vial of Meryl Streep's tears in it to ward against evil. For sure. Right now. Right now. Interactive Bonnie yoga to do. Like, that is a special feature. I have no idea. First of all, first of all, you guys are making the case for the DVD box set right now. I would (laughs) buy that in a heartbeat. We are not paid by HBO. (laughs) But also, you're insulting the people who buy those DVDs who are going to listen to this podcast in like two years when they finally come out and they buy the DVD and start watching the show. So I want you all to apologize right now <laughs> to to I'm these random sorry. people. To your yeah. out fans. <laughs> we see you. We respect you. We're sorry yeah, I'm that you, sorry you still, still have, have a DVD, DVD player. player. <laughs> Okay, so we might be able to hook you up by this point if we've got some ad dollars in two years. Who knows? There, um, so there wasn't an ice cream fight, and I was really, really looking forward to uh, seeing that 
cookies and cream hit Meryl Streep's wig, but we didn't get that. We did, however, get a straight up kitty fight club um, as Perry writes Spawn beat the hell out of a giant child who was like three times their size. That kid's on steroids. And poor Ziggy's playing alone outside in the first place. Like, why is he even by himself? He's got these two crazy brothers and Madeline McKenzie to be playing with. But the most surprising thing to me about this is that Ziggy seems surprised when they call his dad a rapist. So did that whole conversation about assault go over his head or did Jane just, I mean, clearly I don't think she used the word rape, but why is he surprised that he was a bad guy? Didn't explain that what a rapist was. Cause he, he said that you, you were salted. So Mm -hmm. she had to explain assault. But I don't think she put it in the context of rape or use. We the term talked about that too. Like we think yeah. she was very clear and careful about the word choice. And I think to not use the word rape was very intentional. And I think obviously now we understand why that was. So that word carries the weight that it does on mm-hmm. this schoolyard confrontation. Do we think and the boys? It happens in front of the twins. Do you think the boys know what that means, or are they just like, oh, that sounds bad. Let's beat this kid up. I think the twins know. Uh-huh. The twins strike me as kids that have like watched Cinemax late at night or HBO <laughs> late at I night. Think, they I, watch I the think Red Shoe they, Diaries. Yeah. I think these kids are all such little gossips. I feel like Chloe probably gave like a sex ed, you know, conference on the playground. Chloe, <laughs> Chloe definitely she, knows. She let a sex talk on the playground. So I mean, I do think that they probably sadly do know the term. After, I mean, her, grade. after her sister tried to sell herself to um, end sex trafficking, I'm pretty sure Chloe has to know what a simple case of rape would be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that the kids had an understanding, even if not completely, they knew that this is not, you know, and plus just even if you didn't understand that we're just saying something in that tone and about mm-hmm. your father, like that would be enough to... Uh, warrant a playground fight for sure. If if any one of those kids, except for the bully, was mm-hmm. mine, I would have taken them kayaking and for ice cream and bought them like all the toys. I would have been like, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what they did. Exactly. All right. So we need to talk about Scary Louise. First of all, this tea time with Renata. Um, I'm confused. Did Mary Louise accept this invitation just so she could go be rude to Renata? Like, uh, have you met Mary Louise? That is yeah. her ultimate MO. It's like, oh, is there an opportunity for me to be a bitch and end somebody here? Like, <laughs> sure, I'll take it. was so textbook on how to be such a bitch and mm-hmm. deflect everything. They're like, like having this like basic conversation. She goes, "Oh, where's your furniture?" Like, oh, oh, Mary oh Louise, God. I felt that. Like, yeah. God. Yeah, but also have... like they have all these bougie coffee shops, and Celeste is really gonna have Mary Louise over to her parking garage home with no furniture. Like, Renata, what are you doing, you... Renata? Like, yeah, Renata. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I they're think... all blurring together. I think that Mary Louise, how she managed to sense that Renata was about to go on the offensive, and she just like flipped that around, mm-hmm. was just so peak Mary Louise terror. 
Uh, I I mean, Renata, who has been the power character, who was the bully last season, to see the table get, like, mm-hmm. turned so quickly on her. And, you know, poor Renata is already spinning out. And then to have this happen, and when she, you know, says, oh, think about all you've given up being a working mom, and now what's it for? You're losing it all anyway. Painful. Oh, It's yeah. also just, like, the best fan service. Because we've been saying all season, like, all we want to do is see Renata versus yeah, Mary Louise. Together. So thank you for the fan service, HBO. I was here for it. But it was really powerful to see Renata, like, struck down to just another kind of, like, gaping mouth while Mary <laughs> Louise sits there smugly. I mean, it was pretty, like, horrible, but also, like, really nice to see in a weird way. Like Sometimes I wonder... Sometimes I wonder if uh, Mary Louise has had some sort of like Sophia Petrillo style stroke that leaves her completely (laughs) incapable of editing her thoughts. Because, I mean, I know she's awful, but she seriously just says the the strangest things in ways that I'm not always convinced is as calculated as... It's You're right on because this mm-hmm. last scene, I was like, is she on the spectrum? Like, talk about that like right. conversation in the first episode. Like, this is somebody that has zero emotional boundaries, mm-hmm. zero emotional awareness, and is willing to say literally anything. And like, yes, obviously we're gonna like use Meryl Streep as best we can if we're HBO. I get that, but mm-hmm. it's almost too much. Uh, Rebecca, you point. froze. We're just. Boundaries. Did oh, she no. just freeze on your thing? She started to, and then she sped up really quickly, and it was real weird. But now she seems okay. Do yeah, I you sound may like want a to demon? repeat that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm here for sounding like a demon. <laughs> All I was basically saying was that you know, it, it almost feels too much sometimes from Mary Louise, and yet like it's nice to see Renata humanized and. I don't know. I can't repeat myself very well. (laughs) Yes, I know. I agree. Like, there are times where you're like, is anyone really this mean all the time? Because I've never encountered a person like this in my life. And I understand she's out there to sort of, uh, you know, get her son's killer in her mind. But it also seems like she's not doing herself any favors. Like, she's making no you know, allies in this community. And, but I also wonder why Renata even thought it was appropriate to invite her over. Like, it almost seems like tampering with a witness or something. Like, you don't like... Well, I think that scene was like two, there were two purposes going on there. One is obviously getting Laura Dern and Meryl Streep to have that scene. So the writers were like, get that in. There's a cat waving. <laughs> we got to, like, seriously video record when we do it on Skype and give this to the fans because this is yeah. um, We are true the, cat ladies. Yes. The second purpose, I think, of this scene was Renata, who was the, the queen bee here, going up against Mary Louise, who is now just literally going through and just slicing heads off all these women. The and, queen C, if you yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> This victorious crushing of everyone. That's what she's aiming to do. She does not. She is just taking no, you know, she doesn't need any allies here. I mean, she's even rude to Jane, who in theory she really does need because Jane has no reason whatsoever to give her any access to Ziggy. And she's still just incredibly rude and weird to her. But anyway, I digress. So, um... We also see 
Mary Louise standing outside, staring at Jane's apartment, looking at all her grandsons, ha- grandsons having fun without her. Do we think this is just adding fuel to her fire or is she finally maybe regretting alienating herself a little bit? Oh, I didn't even think about her regretting. I just saw that as creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took it more as she's just like salty and wants in on this situation. And not even because it's like a maternal grandmothery thing. It's just like she wants to win now. That's right. the vibe I've been getting from her this episode is that she's willing to do and say anything mm-hmm. to get the upper hand in this situation. So we've sort of speculated that there's no way she can win this custody battle because there's no way Meryl Streep's coming back for a third season and Mary Louise just kind of has to go away one way or the other. And I don't think fans would be very happy if this season ended with Celeste Celeste losing her children. children. So um, what what do you think is going to happen? Do you have predictions about how this all resolves itself in the next couple of episodes? Oh, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> I I think that I I really don't think that if there is going to be a third season that Meryl Streep will be back. No. So therefore, I do feel like there is going to have to be some sort of resolution here that makes her not part of this world anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. So. I don't know. And I mean, honestly, from like a legal standpoint, I do feel like uh, Celeste is kind of fucked. (laughs) Like, so, I I mean, even though it's very hard to get children away from the biological mother, there is evidence of alcohol and drug abuse that she's going to come at her with, the mysterious surroundings of the husband's death, and, you know, all this other stuff. I mean, I think that's the ticket right there. I don't think this child custody thing is the like main motivation for what she's doing. I think it's mm. that she knows if she can provoke Celeste, which she can do masterfully, as we saw in both these pre-trial. Is to get answers out of And that. to get all of the Monterey Five on the stand. And we just, you know, as Renata said, that's perjury, babe. Like, Renata is acutely mm. aware of what perjury is and has now cued the rest of them in. And we didn't get that scene just so we, the viewers, can know what perjury is. We got that scene so we know all the characters know now about lying on the stand. So I think mm. Mary Louise is doing this because she knows this is her only opportunity to get these five women on the stand and then Where ask questions about Terry's death. So I think that's what this is about. I don't think mm. Mary Louise has any intention of taking these kids and raising them. I think Mary Louise is more likely to expose mm-hmm. Perry's murder and then turn around and be like, I don't want these kids anyways. Like, they can go to foster care as far as I <laughs> On the other God. hand, mm-hmm. uh, why would she have come, allowed her lawyer to come at them with a, like a, you know. Because uh, she knew Celeste wasn't going to take that. She knows Celeste think? is too much of a, you know, she wants her family close. This is all she's got left. Like, she knows Celeste is not in any emotional state to give up her kids on the weekends. I think Mary Louise knows exactly what she's doing, and this is all about Perry's death. This is where we started in the beginning. She didn't get anywhere with the detectives, so she's like, fuck it. I'm going to go around this, this custom yeah. day. Because I, I did, want her I on did stand. especially in this episode, feel like that's that is what came together for me is that the ultimate goal, the end goal for Mary Louise is to get information. Yeah. She doesn't care about the kid. I mean, she, I mean, they're her grandkids, whatever she sees Perry in them to some extent, but this is about figuring out what happened to Perry. So 
we've oh, we also know now something we didn't know well we knew earlier this season which is that mary louise's husband and son both died we still don't know how they sort of gave us this information and then just abandoned it do we think it's gonna come back in any way it better yeah because that's a big that's a big uh matzo ball to have hanging out there if you're not mm-hmm. gonna explain it <laughs> I mean, this has literally been since episode one where we've gotten these kernels about Raymond's death and all that. I mean, they can't have peppered this throughout all eight episodes or seven episodes, how many it is, without, you know, reaching some sort of resolution mm-hmm. by episode seven. It has to be. I mean, I'll we'll riot. We're first you're going to deny us the ice cream cost <laughs> seat and then you're not going to give us the answer about Perry's dead brother and dad. Come on. Maybe that's what will happen to Mary Louise. Maybe it will come out. In turn, she of, murdered both of them. Yes. In turn it, of all this, would she's trying to lure the you know, the murder of Perry out of these women. It'll come out that she herself is a killer. I just don't know how. He's cold enough. <laughs> like two more episodes, they managed to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these next two episodes better be packed with answers. It hasn't been mentioned in forever, and all of a sudden we're gonna um, we're gonna come back to. I that. do think. I do think we got another cat sighting. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Good, delighted throat chortles from all of us. <laughs> I do think this episode, like the whole season has been really interesting in the way that like each episode makes you think it's heading in a different direction and then it pivots the next episode. So mm-hmm. I think at this point, like we have so many unanswered things and we keep, you know, shifting our perspective on where it's going. So it seems like now we're repositioned to a courtroom drama, which we all thought was maybe going to happen, but in real relation to Perry's murder and now it's seeming like it's happening in relation to the custody hearing so I do think that's been kind of fun but they've got some work to do if they're going to tie up all these loose ends in two episodes yeah Pack I'm stressed thinking about I'm stressed what needs to happen and what will be happening in the next two episodes I mean that's like these are 40 minute episodes pretty much too for the most mm-hmm. part so there is 80 minutes left in this season and there is so much that needs to happen uh, it, it's like, it, it's like when, you know, it, it's six o'clock at night and you realize you have all this shit to do before the next day. It's that kind of anxiety <laughs> that I am having over this. I hope the writing, uh, I hope the writers are having that anxiety too, because I am just like, what, I don't know. It's feeling a little, uh, last season of Game of Thronesy to me. They're going to have to cram everything in at the last That's an minute. insult. That's yeah. an insult. Shade. It is. I do think the pacing on this entire season has been... Not their strongest. No, it's all over the place. I feel like they've crammed a lot of things in that I didn't, like, didn't necessarily need to be there. And they and could have explored other things. to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like ice cream throwing. Yeah, like ice cream fights. And justice for Tom. Yeah. Where's Tom? <laughs> what happened to the other coffee shop? I'm not going to let this go. Blue if Bulls. I don't get an answer, I'm going to freak out. Like, unless Corey murdered Tom to get his undercover spot with Jane, <laughs> I refuse to accept that he just disappeared. I, I think his whole coffee shop was probably, like, fell into the ocean during an earthquake or something because, like. Well, that's too real because California is sinking into the ocean as we speak. I know. Well, I, I, know. I called that in, one of the, in, in another one of our podcasts. I said maybe that was the environmental that was the inciting incident that caused the school to be talking about environmental issues. So, uh, <laughs> for climate change. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, Bella's not panicking for nothing. Yeah, she was there. She saw Tom slide into the ocean and be swallowed That's why by she's a game. Traumatized. Yeah. 
so speaking of these children, I read an article today Mm -hmm. that the young actress Ivy George, uh, who plays Amabella, is making $140,000 for this season. Mm Mm-hmm. She is 12 years old. So, money girl. Yeah, good good for her. Uh, honey, if you're listening, invest that money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> invest Enough. it now. Yeah. We can use it. Don't let your parents take care of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. go to college <laughs> and invest that money. No, college is going to literally cost $140,000 a day by the time she's in college. So <laughs> Exactly. But so that's a lot of money for a a child actor uh, for sure. Uh, for any actor, I, I'm an actor, and I I would like 140 thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. But I'm not an actor, and I would like 140. Well, yeah, anyone, anyone. But of the, all the child actors in this series, which one do you think deserves the highest pay? Like, who do you think is the child actor who is really the Meryl Streep of the children, it's so to speak? Got- any other episode? Go ahead, Teresa. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, I would say it's got to be Ziggy. I think he's the only one who has much, like, in the way of real acting to do most of the time. The twins have had a little bit more, like, during uh, Mary Louise's scream, their faces were pretty hilarious. But otherwise, it's mostly just Ziggy having actual conversations and real acting to do. I would say literally any other episode i would mm-hmm. say ziggy emphatically or mm-hmm. maybe second darby camp who plays chloe mm-hmm. but this episode i'll tell you the corvetti twins max and josh yeah. really got me like the scene with them in bed talking to nicole kidman i was like i'm sorry i think these kids are like out acting nicole kidman right now which is like <laughs> kind of i'm shook like that's amazing yeah so i think that they're really putting in some stellar work this season i really have been All impressed with the them kids. I agree that I think since season one, Ziggy has been consistently a very, very strong young actor. And he's the most booked actor of all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, starring in a CBS um, show, making that CBS oh, money. Yeah, for sure. But um, little Chloe has been a favorite of mine. I think she does a great job. And I'm kind of disappointed. She, I feel like she's not as used this much. No, no. Used well, much season they've completely backed off the aggressive djing that chloe did so she's not Which as necessary yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because i feel like the music has also not been as much there it's there definitely but not. it's yeah. not the same this season as in the first season and i i i'm like bring back chloe and her music i was a real big fan of uh i mean we used to have such a difficult time choosing a best song and now it's like difficult for us to remember the songs that are in right. the episodes i think that's a real testament to chloe's failing record label so i have a great tip i would like to offer everyone so uh, my roommate and I love, love to watch horror movies. And when we watch horror movies, we put the subtitles on because mm-hmm. horror movies are always like really quiet in the dialogue. Yep. There's like the big crash boom, like scary thing jumping out. And then all of a sudden it's blaringly loud. So we had subtitles on set on the TV. And when I watched this week's episode, it still had the subtitles on. And it was amazing because there are a lot of, there's a lot of quiet moments here. Mm-hmm. And in the scene in the flashback, instead of having to like read their lips or really strain, you could see it had it written out as actual dialogue. Also, uh, the subtitles tell you what the name of the song and the singer mm-hmm. or the artist, uh, which was cool. Um, Very so cool. may I recommend watching with subtitles? <laughs> I started doing that after I was watching um, 
Castle Rock on Hulu. It's like they didn't even mic the actors when you listen, when you watch that show. And I was like, that's it. I, I have to cave in and and use subtitles here. Yeah, I, I like subtitles in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the old lady in me coming out. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about Celeste a little bit. Uh, we see her getting it on with another random dude in a bathroom stall. Which, you know, no shade, it's pretty hot, but when you're in the middle of a custody battle, you probably shouldn't be risking getting caught having sex in public. Um, and you should probably be at home with your kids. So, uh, and Maybe then... Maybe they were at school. What? Maybe they were at school and it was an afternoon delight. She was having sex in a bar in the middle of the day with a stranger? That's... that's. Has hard. anyone seen Shameless? That's par for the course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A Frank Don't Gallagher judge, like, style choices. Isn't it what everyone <laughs> does? I took that as a flashback that she was just like reminiscing, just like Madeline was reminiscing about her sexy times with Joseph. I thought that this was her just kind of like having like a daydream about her rendezvous with the bartender last episode well i don't think it was the bartender though and why would the bartender have gone home with her if they just did it in the bathroom so do it again i think i think this was an entirely new guy because at first it's perry and then it and then when it goes back to it it's a different actor and i don't think it was the bartender so um she may have been reminiscing but it was a recent reminisce you know what i mean like it was like oh this is what i did last night kind of thing while she's getting ready in the morning or something um, but then she also loses it and starts swearing at Mary Louise and her lawyer in one of the, in one of the, um, not courtroom scenes cause they're not in a courtroom yet, but, uh, and I'm just like, is she just straight up losing it? Like what's going on with Celeste? I mean, I think Mary Louise, as we've seen all season is a great button pusher and knew exactly what to say to get Celeste to freak out. And I think Celeste is I mean, as I said, like, I just don't understand, like, we built all this up that Celeste was a lawyer and Perry made her stop practicing. And she's showing none of that, you know, savviness that you would ascribe to a lawyer. And she's talking to Renata like she's never been in a courtroom before and saying, yeah, and she's like asking, is this a good lawyer? Like, you're a lawyer. You don't know. (laughs) And then the conversation on the beach where, like, Renata has to explain perjury to everyone. I'm like, shouldn't this be Celeste is explaining perjury to everyone? Like, I'm confused about, like, where we're going with Celeste's character development. Yeah, I think Celeste is, I think that we are supposed to see Celeste at this point as so shaken and 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 almost fragile in a different way than she was in season one. Um, For sure. There, there she was fragile because of, of the abuse and everything, but now, I mean, she's still suffering abuse at the hands of Mary Louise, but now she just is so shaken by this circumstance and the thought of losing her kids and you know, she is clearly behaving in a hypersexual manner. There may be some drug and alcohol abuse as well. Uh, or Mary Louise drugging her is something that we, a theory we ran with for a little. Uh, so, I mean, she's just not in the right headspace. She's not right? in her A-game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like even if you're not in your A-game, like you'd have a basic understanding of legalese at this point. And like- Nicole Kidman, <laughs> yeah, who is, I think, giving the performance of her career in this show is also not on her A-game because she keeps dropping her accent. Yeah. <laughs> I texted you guys in the middle of the episode. I was so mad. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, are we going to explain like an Australian backstory? Because she went full Aussie in those courtroom scenes. She I could... noticed that in season one a lot mm-hmm. during the psychiatrist scenes. And this episode was really bad. Anytime she... she has to yell or get upset, she cannot keep 
the fake American accent together. It just slips and she's full on Australian every time she gets like in a rage. Mm-hmm. I just want to get an alternate universe series where it's Nicole Kidman using an Australian accent and every L, everyone else of the actors on this show using an Aussie accent to keep up with Nicole Kidman and like big little eyes pirouette. Like, please give us that. Well, That's also, like, there was no reason for her to do an American accent, really. She could have just been Australian. Like, yeah, and, an expat. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but it does have the Facebook groups enraged. Uh, it wasn't just you, Rebecca. All the okay. Facebook groups about Big Little Lies are like, what is going on with her accent? Okay, because I literally think, like, am I just being like too sensitive and salty? Because mm-hmm. no. You know. Okay, I feel better. Um, so we've got some love triangles going on in um, this episode. And there's a lot of weird shit going on with <laughs> Madeline and Ed. Let's... Um, Ugh. Let's start with the group hugging couples therapy and its aftermath. Like, what? Like, they had a perfectly good therapist. Why are they going to this thing now? I mean, this is like classic Madeline Martha McKenzie. She's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to therapy, but we also need to go to like this holistic, like immersive retreat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, let's not forget, she was the one last season one where she was like, don't touch me in yoga. I don't like to be touched. So, like, mm-hmm. this does not seem like something that she'd be into. And I, you would think they would advertise, like, hugging-based therapy on this <laughs> retreat. They're not just going to spring that on you. So that was weird. And well, I did enjoy the scene of them all, like, shuffling around like they're out of The Walking Dead, like, mm-hmm. hugging each other. It was quite cringe. See, I think her plan was here, because Madeline McKenzie is a very manipulative woman, I think, because, like, she and Ed exchange this moment where they're, like, laughing about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think her plan was that this would be so outlandish and so ridiculous and the kind of thing that, like, a year ago when their relationship was on track, they would have made fun of together. I think her plan was to put them in that situation where then they could kind of, like, share this as an inside joke and it would give them something to be on the same page with again and then hopefully go from there. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, which is what kind of happens. Sort of. I mean, she almost, they, that almost happened. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, what did you make of their conversation in the car? Because it seems like she really has a moment where she's really sincere with him in a, in a way that she wasn't before. And I couldn't tell if he was starting to break down a little. But then we get the scenes with, you know, Tori Tits. And I don't know what. I don't know what to make of his Does reaction. Does he just want to, like, bang one out to get back at her? Is he like, yeah. well, you got he's... to sleep with someone, and now I'm going to get to sleep with someone? He's a revenge nut fuck. Yeah. That's his <laughs> shtick. I mean, like, I and what, I, I call what bullshit on that whole scene. Sitting there watching. Oh, because that's his punishment. He's got to be a cuck now. Have I... you ever seen porn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was... <gasps> I was like, I don't even, I thought they were divorced for some reason. Like, I didn't even think, like. Yeah. I like a spinoff that's just, like, dealing with, like, Tori and Joseph on the therapist couch. Yeah, <laughs> I was assumed that they were divorced at this point, too, because she had new tits. Yeah. And, like, her, it was, it came out as public that, and it, she seemed very aware that her husband slept with Madeline last season. Mm-hmm. So, when, at this beginning of the season, when we saw Tori tits, I was like, oh, she knew that her husband cheated. They separated. She got new boobs. She's out in the supermarket cruising for men. Yep. Power to you, girl. But now with him sitting there in the back of the bar watching them, I don't know. And also, like, 
that snide fuck trying to like <laughs> stick his dick in someone just because his wife got some action besides like he is just such a whiny little bastard Ugh. i just didn't buy the entire car scene i thought they were both lying to each other i thought that oh. you know battling the, yeah. the episode is having flashbacks about joseph and banging him and saying you're the love of my life i'm like madeline this is not the love of your life mm-hmm. also just as like a general note I cannot stand these intense conversations that happen in the car and they just like pull over on freeways. I'm like, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Like, somebody's going to have to die in a car accident <laughs> to state the fact that they keep having these scenes with people freaking out and doing reckless things in cars. It stresses me out. I don't like it. Don't do that. Don't argue with your spouse in a car. Speaking no. of people pulling over in inappropriate places, I saw today that the bridge from the opening... Um, from Bixby the opening bridge. credits, Bixby Bridge, yeah. Apparently, it's a big problem that people just like pull over and stand in the middle of it to take selfies, and so a lot of people are gonna die. And Classic, don't do that. Yeah, no, yeah. Maybe Madeline Martha McKenzie says no to Bixby Bridge selfies. <laughs> you might get pushed over by some angry um, puppets, Puppet. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about the real house husbands of Monterey for a minute and talk. Ed and Nathan, yet another fight because Nathan can't figure out that he just shouldn't talk to Ed. But um, I felt like after the car scene, I got some clarity as to why Ed is so hostile towards Nathan. The whole like you married him for lust and you married me to be the dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like I get that like I get there's animosity between the two of them naturally they're like mm-hmm. rivals for Madeline's affection blah 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 I'm just like what is the point of these scenes every no. single episode unless Same. one of them is going to kill the other I think unless they thought it was going to be like a comedy relief like these two you know these two idiots just going at each other I, I think it just isn't playing out the way that it was intended to mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. Adam Scott's fault yeah i, I, I mean got like Teresa and i apologize for carolyn's hatred of you i have no problem with you like no i mean i don't know where this is coming from i love parks and rec just like everybody else and i'll play that stupid game that you came up with for that uh for that show the cones of dunshire <laughs> yes <laughs> will you eat a calzone while you play the cones of dunshire no the calzone is a ridiculous food it's just like inside out pizza and i will not have anything to do with it <laughs> It's also inedible. How are you supposed to even eat a calzone? It's like a burger that's too big for your face. I I can't. I can't. Um, bastard pizza. Mm-hmm. What it is. It's bastard pizza. Yeah. It's as if, fuck pizza. It's yeah. fuck. So the only thing that came out of these Ed and Nathan scenes was a couple of good hashtags. Hashtag fuck and hashtag nutfuck. Um, also, like, I'm sorry, let's just unpack nutfuck for a second. Is mm-hmm. that not what fucking is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, fucking is a nutfuck? <laughs> I, I mean, yes. I mean, heterosexual fucking. Mm-hmm. Let me just clarify. But, like, it's not an insult, man. Like, I'm confused. Like, come up with, do better. I don't yeah. know. I it annoyed don't. me. Also, I did not need to see Adam Scott in biking gear again after season one. And yet, here we uh, are. And mm-hmm. at least they were not the biker shorts. That we didn't see. You know, underneath the camera, he was wearing those shorts. No, I think there was a full shot, and he was wearing like he was wearing like yoga pants, but Gross. not. What? Yeah, it was it was still awful, but it wasn't bike shorts. He Do you think he went straight from singing, singing for sleep apnea to biking? Just went. <laughs> so yoga singing for sleep apnea is that a thing? Did anyone Google that? It's a cash cow. Well, yes, but is it a real thing that actually exists? 
Or is that some brilliant hippy-dippy shit that they created for this show just to have something outlandish? I did not Google it, but I will right now. I am. I'm. Oh, gosh. There is one called Sing Loud and Proud. Singing is a great way to strengthen the muscles in the soft palate and the upper throat, which tends to get weaker as you age. In one study, people with mild to moderate sleep apnea symptoms saw improvements after a three-month program of daily singing exercises. That is from CPAP.com. My God, I am. Let's start it. I mean, I have sleep problems, so like maybe we should every night before we go to bed sing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, <laughs> Carolyn is a certified yoga ambient. instructor. <laughs> I, I I was a certified yoga instructor. Um, I don't. Okay, I don't Carolyn, step up. We're ready. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure you can teach a couple of old people to roll around on their back and sing um, Chicago songs. Probably. I mean, I I am not qualified for much in life, but I am probably qualified for that. (laughs) Well, since we're already on the topic of the shit show that is Bonnie, um, let's talk about that some more. So um, as if she didn't have enough on her plate already, now her mom wants her to kill her. Uh, What? Kill me. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, is this going to be a thing we have to deal with now, too? Is Bonnie trying to decide whether or not she's going to kill her mom for the next couple of episodes? I mean, they kind of have set us up for that tension, and clearly now it is much more uh, clear that she was definitely abused as a child Mm -hmm. um, by her mother. So that is kind of a fucked up scenario to put her in, uh, that, you know, the mother is saying, like, kill me, and for her to have to question that, and with Mm -hmm. everything else she's going through... I don't know. I'm not going to be thrilled if that's what happens. It doesn't seem like. I mean, it seems like the episodes have been setting us up for Bonnie's death by water more so than Bonnie killing her mother. Mm-hmm. I, I, but there is right. also that whole thing about how, like, you know, the mother's not getting better and the hospital's not Ooh, doing anything. What if they Bonnie want kills her mother and then goes and drowns herself? Walks into seeming the ocean, possible. Like, like instead of also like if she gets called to the stand and doesn't want to, I mean, we keep seeing her at the police station. So I either think it's going to follow the book and she's going to confess, and then maybe like knowing that she's going to get some sort of you know criminal record or something, drowns herself, or she's going to kill her mom and drowns herself. I don't know. I just feel like all like, of this no, water imagery. Lawyers in Monterey, like he was a rapist and a and and. And he was abusing his wife and God knows what else he was doing. And it was, I mean, he this, was attacking women at the time of his death. This so, all goes back to the book. That like, is the punishment I, at this point. It makes so much more sense for them to have just come forward with it and said, like, he was beating the shit out of Celeste and it was self-defense. And it would have been a cut and dry thing. Nobody would have seen any jail time. It would have been like, yeah, that's why self-defense exists. Like, fair enough. Let's all move on. And the fact that they wanted to mine a second season, that's why, you know, you had to keep the big little lie going and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't hold up. Like, it, it does feel like the more we get, you know, access to these hazy flashbacks at the beginning of each episode from different characters' perspectives. So maybe we don't know what really happened. Maybe it wasn't as... I mean, I think I think it's self-defense. I just think that, like, the fact that they keep going back to this and the choice that they made to lie as opposed to tell the truth is what we're supposed to be getting through those flashbacks. I just don't mm-hmm. – I don't get it. I think, you know, especially Celeste, who, again, is a lawyer. Like, yeah. why Celeste doesn't say, like, there is a clear case for self-defense here? 
And that whole scene at the beginning, I think, was really telling when she said, you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. Let's. She didn't do anything. All Bonnie did was prevent you from getting murdered by your psycho abusive husband. I just, I don't know. It, it, it's pissing me off. So I think Bonnie is emotionally in trouble. I, I think yeah. like, I, I think that she is uh, about to start to make some bad choices. Oh, for sure. Um, that, and, and like I said, I would not be surprised if it is that she does confess or cave under the pressure of having to confess uh or feeling like she has to confess and uh we had that like scene earlier in the season where you see her walking out to the water and it felt like maybe this was like a dream or like jane feeling like she was running off the cliff or uh but maybe this is actually something that could happen but then if they are going into a season three they will like how to what happens with the monterey five if my God, please. I mean, I, I like doing this podcast and all, but there better not be a season three. There, I mean, they have just stretched this so thin at this point. I can't. No, don't do it, HBO. Um, if fine. they do it, it's going to have to be like a resolution for something huge that happens in the finale, like bumping off Mary Louise. And then, but then again, it's like we're just going to repeat season two at that point. Like, right. yeah, they're just in a cycle where it's like they are going to gang up kill somebody else again and then have a whole other season of coverage. they could become like feminist vigilantes which i'd be kind of here for like if renata <laughs> just like starts a band of like women that bump off psychopaths like i'd be fine with that they're just I'm like dexter it. but there's five yeah. of them instead and yeah. it doesn't end in a shitty fucking way like, yeah. i'd be down with that but i i don't know i think that they have a lot of work to do in the next two episodes if we're going to wrap this up in a bow and say this is season two is it and i think that they're gearing up just based on the fact that there's so much stuff that's yet to be resolved. And I doubt that two episodes, as Carolyn says, 80 minutes, 80, 90 minutes is going to be able to accomplish. Unless the next two episodes are just hot fire and we're just like every single second is, you know, used to advance the plot, which has not been the tenor of season two. So um, we've already alluded to this, but we Bonnie's lurking outside the PD again. And then we see Fishboy a.k.a. Jane's shitty new boyfriend, Corey, coming out. Um, So, first of all, shout out to Veronica Pomar, our lovely follower, who called this last week. (laughs) And I was kind of like, really? I don't think about that's a little outlandish, Queen. Like, I don't know, like, bad props, but I don't know. And here we are. She nailed it. So, congrats, Veronica. You crushed that one. Did she explain why she thought that last week? She just said she had a feeling that he was undercover. And I just kind of was like, okay, whatever. That's kind of interesting. You know, he just seems kind of, like, too obtuse for that. But here we are. I was shook. I literally, like, freaked out mm-hmm. when that scene happened. I was like, Veronica but maybe that's just runs. a red herring. Maybe he was at the police station for whole other reasons. He maybe got hauled in a for a rape charge of something. I would have thought that, but he walked out of the station with another officer and they looked mm-hmm. very chummy. And then they both went to their own cars. And the other thing I keep going back to is in the first episode, he's the one that drops the Monterey five thing, which to me, I was right. like, are people really calling them the Monterey five? That mm-hmm. seems a little strange, but that absolutely sounds like something the police would call them in their like stupid police conference. Like we got to catch this Monterey five. Well, part like, of me was wondering if maybe he's just some kind of true crime addict who's like, uh, because a citizen sleuth and is yep. tra- and like weaseled his way into Jane's life because getting a job in an aquarium at an aquarium seems like a pretty long shot to uh, to go undercover as that's that's a very weird thing to do. Um, 
So I, I'm just wondering if he's taking it upon himself to try and like solve this crime. It'll come out that he has like a podcast in Monterey. Exactly. About yeah. the Monterey Five. We're going to get real meta. He runs big little podcasts in Monterey. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's a big fan of my favorite murder and he's out there trying to solve some crimes. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense though because he came out of the woodwork. We obviously did not get any justice for Tom and it doesn't look like we're getting any justice for Tom. So the mm-hmm. fact that like he's had this like very pivotal you know, role on the show and a lot of screen time for an, a character that we don't really have any connection to. Mm-hmm. It does make sense that that's what this has all been building to is that his whole job has been to get close to Jane and et cetera, et cetera. However, I think that because he's gotten close to Jane, this guy has got to realize that Jane was like clearly abused right. by this guy. And there's a ton of precedent for pushing him down a flight of stairs. So like, I'm hoping that he is undercover, but he's going to vouch for Jane you know, there was that moment in the preview where you hear his voiceover saying, you know, t- apparently talking to Jane, saying, you know, they're they're looking into you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that he confronts the Monterey Five, says, listen, I am undercover. You guys are going to be fucked if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Because I spent all this time with Jane, I realized that this guy was a monster and deserved to die. But he, I'm going to help you so you don't go to jail for the fact that you lied about killing him. That would be nice. I, but, you know, it probably won't happen, but I'm being nice an things. idealist at this point. I'm like, please, Corey, redeem yourself. Well, part, so, so do we know, I mean, obviously Jane told him about the assault, but did she tell him it was Perry? Because that seems like a weird thing to tell somebody. Like, Well, I think. No, he, not that we've I, seen on camera. Not that we've seen on camera, but I think she has because he is going kayaking with all of them and the twins are there playing and he's playing with the twins and Ziggy and roughhousing with them, which none of these kids have a father to Mm -hmm. do that with anymore or ever did. And, you know, they're sitting there watching this and I think that he knows who these children are and their relationship. I, I Mm. felt, I got the vibe that he knew he knows. That's a lot. Um, So as long as we're talking about the kayaking trip, right before the kayaking trip, uh, Jane and Fishboy almost finally have sex, but then she starts crying. More importantly, though, she has told Ziggy that she has to work for a few hours in the morning, so he's going to hang out with Celeste and the boys, and then afterwards they're going kayaking. So did she lie to Ziggy about going to work so she could go hook up with her creepy new boyfriend and then... For sure. And then yeah. she just say, you got to go to mm-hmm. Celeste while I bang my creepy new boyfriend. Well, it's like- also, but it's the middle of the day. She's like, you know what? It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. I think I'm going to go. People have sex in the middle said. of the day, Teresa. Afternoon to They do it in bathrooms at bars. They do it on their couch when they should be at work. Yes. I'm sorry that that's not your life. <laughs> I am aware but that people do this, but not people who are. Carolyn, that is shady. I know. I can't. I, it's a good thing we're not blushing. Let's not talk about our sex life. It's a good thing we're not in the same room. I'd have to throw a glass of rose in her face or something. But um that my point is not they are not a couple. This would be their first time having sex. It's clearly been a pretty big deal up until this point, and Jane has not been able to do this. So like it seems a little weird that rather than like having this happen on a date when there's lots of time she's trying to cram it in right before she goes kayaking with her kid yeah it does seem like a not really a great the timing isn't great for mm-hmm. sure um but i i 
I don't, I don't know. I, why is Jane, what is she doing with him? Like, that's my, more of my concern. Not that she's like, you know, saying she has to be at work and having, attempting to have like couch sex with this fish boy. It's more that she has chosen this fish boy, that she has let him into her life. Uh, I, I feel like this season is all about these women just making fucking awful choices left and right. I mean, he's kind and, of non-threatening, right? Like he basically looks like a child. Bangs or him. Let's Both be real too. All of her friends have terrible husbands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it only seems fair that Jane is following suit and dating a terrible guy. Mm-hmm. Although, you know what? Like Nathan is kind of stepping up in this season other than his like constant bullying of snide fuck. Nathan mm-hmm. is only stepping up because he's not having sex. Let's be real. Oh, yeah. Nathan <laughs> is just mad that he's not he getting like, it. working hard to get some. But in this goes to show that if you, you know, you can pull Alyssa Strada on men and get things from them. Mm-hmm. Like she is, uh, she is making him work for that treadmill and book. But he, Nathan, I feel has been at least a better, I guess of like all of them this season, he's kind of a, the best, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, like these yeah. men are all awful, but if I mean, he gonna, hasn't like, bankrupted his family. Yeah. And he's not behaving like a petulant child. Uh, and he is not, you know, abusive. And he is not like keeping a lot of lies behind her back and secrets. Like, I mean, of mm-hmm. all of them, he's not he's not the worst here. Not uh, like that good. But I found myself being like, oh, he got her a treadmill so that she can run in the house. I, With the I, book Born to Run, I was Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it was such oh, an asshole. It was a lot. It was a lot. I don't know. I think he's just, like, such, like, a frat boy douche. That just... <laughs> At this point, like, I'd rather take, like, Ed snide fuck over Nathan's nut fuck any day. Take that back. <laughs> Listen, we're not competing over men. This is great. Like, you yeah, need Nathan, true. and I'll have Ed. It's fine. Teresa, that leaves you with uh, Gordon. Gordon. I'm going to go look for Tom. I'm gonna oh! go out to sea and see where he Just where paddle. he landed. Where is Tom? Yeah, he's probably uh. like sitting on that uh ocean that like raft of plastic out in the middle the of the trash Pacific island. Somewhere. Yeah, he's on trash uh, island. He's on trash <laughs> island. Um, so in the previews, which are getting better and better, um, we hear someone saying that Detective Quinlan thinks one of them will eventually crack. Is that Fishboy or who how was is saying that? I okay. thought it was Fishboy. And I think that's where I get this idea that Fishboy is going to reveal his undercover status. Mm-hmm. Tell them, you know, listen, having spent all this time with Jane, I realized this guy was a crazy fuck and mm-hmm. I want to help you. So Quinlan's on to you. The trial's coming up. Here's what you need to do. I that was it just sounded like his voice. I'm not 100% convinced, but I that was my initial reaction was that it was Fishboy. I, I I would be willing to accept that theory. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that that for sure could be what is coming in this this uh, this next episode. I do really need uh, I need a lot of Quinlan to step in. Yeah, Quinlan is She's awesome. been like the shark three. circling the prey this season and Definitely I need her to on the like periphery. Yeah, I need her to jump in here. And it would have be nice to humanize her a little bit and just, like, 
feel like she's more than just the specter looming over the yeah. action. Like, I would like to know, like, you know, what mm-hmm. her motivation is as a woman, you know, especially as a woman of color. Like, does she have any sort of, like, empathy towards the situation? Is she just, like, you know, the, casting her is just this anonymous figure of authority. Like, again, like, I feel like this show's treatment of race is not the best. Mm-hmm. And it would be nice to see, like, some sort of unpacking of her identity other than, like, this just spectral authority figure that's going to get them all. It also kind of seems like um, Monterey just has limitless police resources. Yeah. They're like, Christ. Yeah. Like, I mean, they it can, is very, like, I'm sure the taxpayer dollars are steep. Yeah, they can have this one guy just go working at an aquarium like 40 hours a week so that, so that he Community can. Community like, enrichment, two birds, one stone. Yeah. Who knows? Um, well, I, I suspect that crime is not, uh, you know, a big rampant. Issue. But as uh, Bonnie said last week, there are no gangs in Monterey. But it would also seem that like, then you don't need a big police force. And why do you have undercover officers at all? Like what? Yeah, no kidding. Um, So in the previews, we also see Bonnie saying that she's going to confess or that she needs to confess. And then we see her at what looks like you know, a police table getting ready to confess. And we know that in the book, that's exactly what happens. So um, I, I I don't know. What are the odds, do you think, that Bonnie actually confesses? I, mean, I still go ahead. think that the theory could be that she confesses and then uh, doesn't want to. I, I, I fear like she'll make a bad choice after that, like just walk out into the ocean and go underwater and hold her breath as her mother taught her. I just feel like it's going to come down to a question of whether they're doing a season three or not. If season two is it, then I think Bonnie confessing makes a lot of sense. It's going to wrap everything up in a nice bow. Celeste can probably get to keep her kids, blah, 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 blah. But I think this season has done a lot of work of opening up more things than it has closed. So Mm -hmm. I personally think they're going to do a season three. I think that it's too much of a cash cow. Again, HBO has lost Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So they are looking to fill this void any way they can. This is a stacked cast. It's good for Reese Witherspoon. It's good for Nicole Kidman. I think it would make sense that they wrap up Mary Louise's character in some way. Cause obviously Meryl Streep does not need to be hanging around HBO and getting that meager HBO money when she's, <laughs> you know, an Academy award winning actress. So I think it's going to come down to that. If they're going to continue, then I don't think Bonnie's going to confess. If they're going to end it, I think it's going to end like the book did, which was with Bonnie's confession. And Bonnie getting community service. Yes. But at this point, it seems like there would be other consequences, like making false statements and obstructing justice and all sorts of sure. yeah. uh, um, consequences for everybody else. And unless this ends with like an Orange is New Black crossover where they all end up, you know, in Litchfield. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Have a season three of all of them in like an anonymous Monterey prison? Yeah. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to put the odds that Bonnie confesses at, like, 90%. I think that's what's going to happen. I think this is the last season. Okay, well, sound off on our socials if you think that Bonnie's going to confess. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so who's the best slash worst person in Monterey this week? It's a tough week for that. <laughs> you know what? The little twins saying, mm-hmm. we'll protect you. Yeah. That was just such a moment. Um, for sure. I, I I loved that. And 
uh, they they are going to get my best, I think. Okay. So, I think my best on that note of little kids is going to Amabella calling out Renata and giving me some like baby Renata energy. I'm like, is Renata is Amabella's character development going to be that she finally like leans into her mother's bitchiness? I mean, Amabella telling her like it's because we're broke was just a highlight for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I loved that. I thought it was great. Worst person for me this episode, a tough one. I don't know. Nathan didn't really do it for me this episode. I know he was giving gifts and all that. He just is such like a milk toast, wet noodle. I don't know. I mean, I don't get to say this very often, but I think Madeline was like damn near saintly in this episode. Yeah. She, like, I yeah. think she was okay. really had on her big girl pants when dealing with Ed. And, um,. Ooh, I might have changed mine to say Bonnie's dad was the worst. Um. Yeah, he, yes. Yeah, he for sure is, although I felt like that when they had that second conversation, he felt like that tear and pull that he felt in. Yeah, but he also just seems like a guy that like didn't really give a shit about his daughter's well-being. Yeah, oh, I'm I'm changing mine. I'm going to Bonnie's dad, whatever the fuck his name is. I will give him my second, yeah. Um. Um. Teresa, who's your worst? I'm going to go ahead. Uh, you know, it's somewhere between Mary Louise's shitbag lawyer and Ooh, Corey. Dennis O'Hare. Yes. Oh. He, um, uh, a.k.a. Ira Farber, he's just like, I mean. He's a I get, Yeah, I get it. Yeah, like, it's your job to win, but you're really going to, like, drag an abused woman through court and, like, try and get her thrown in jail, apparently. And take her kids away, like, you're a real piece of work. Um, but, Corey, if things turn out the way the show is leading us to believe they're going to turn out, is also a pretty big shitbag. Like, getting close to the girl who was raped so that you can throw her and all her friends in jail is, um, I don't care if it is your job. Like, say no. Yeah. Carolyn, did you... Did you come up with your worst? Well, I agree with Bonnie's dad as being yeah. a, a a solid worst option. Uh, I also think Ed is like oh Eddie, surprise Eddie. surprise surprise <laughs> surprise. But like just every in that car conversation, just this like cold shoulder he's delivering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just isn't doing I do it love for the me. Whole, like I choose to be a nut fuck. Like that's what I choose. Yeah. Like and and cool. him being in his bike clothes again, and then him going out with Tits McGee, whatever her name is. <laughs> I I don't know. Tori Tits. I, yeah, Tori Tits. Um, I I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think he is doing anything good. So he is he's really up there as as some of my. Worst. I just want to posture Carolyn's hatred of Adam Scott so much. Like, <laughs> it's my favorite. Um, all right, Rebecca, what's your best outfit? Ooh, I really loved Renata's business bitch Hermes belts, like tweed jacket mm-hmm. skirt when Celeste visits her in the office. I mean, am I just going to say Renata every week? Probably. Because yeah. her outfits <laughs> are fire. And she might not have any furniture in her house, but she's still got a stacked wardrobe. So mm-hmm. I'm going with Renata. Yeah, I, I agree. That outfit was killer. That tweed, like everything. I, yeah, and her hair was like on point. I was like, yes, Renata, this is a great look for you. I know you're, you probably had to like 
sell a lot of your a lot of her clothes probably are going in the bankruptcy mm-hmm. stuff. But she meanwhile to... the Monterey Goodwill is going to be lit, right <laughs> over there. That would be a fierce place to check out. But uh, she de- definitely that. Also, I was not mad at Celeste's blouse that she wore to yeah. that. Yeah, uh, it With the like bell this... sleeves. Yeah, it was this like peasanty hippie blouse. It, uh, I, yeah, and you know it was funny because it struck me because it seemed sort of not Celeste-like. Last season, we saw her always kind of wearing these very, like, muted, like, cashmere. They were very, like, elegant but understated. There was no... They were stylish but without having a style. Mm. And then earlier this season, she was just kind of always, like, messy. And now maybe... And I loved seeing her emerge in this. And it was, like, light and airy and floral. And I I was like, oh, this is a a good look for you. So I liked that, too. You guys have already stolen both of mine, I think. Um, Renata's power suit, although I sort of noticed it more in um, in her tea meeting with Mary Louise and her her giant pussy bow. It was lovely. And I don't know if we're talking about the same thing or not, but Celeste, I thought it was a dress that she wore to court. It might have along been. It flower could be a thing. dress. Yeah. Okay. The like, like sort of like orange creamsicle background yeah. with yep. the flowers on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No, we're talking about the same look. Okay. Yeah. It was a good look. So, uh, Carolyn, what's your best song? I liked the song that played during the credits mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I don't know what it was called, even though I noted earlier how I was watching it with, uh, with the subtitles. Um, I liked that song. I don't know if it actually is from like the 60s, but it had that kind of vibe. It had that very, it has sort of a, uh, this kind of 60s Bob Dylan vibe. It's my morning jacket. Oh, mm-hmm. I love them. All right, yep. then. Victory yeah. dance. Mm-hmm. Again, it like, I love the good, like moody music that they have that like kind of, Jim James on like a slow Sunday morning and I I liked that song what about you Rebecca I don't know I mean like the perverse part of me appreciated Madeline passive aggressively singing you make me feel okay no but she like wasn't even singing it natural woman to add it in the car she was like singing she was so off key and I live for it I'm like this is like this theater director yeah, I mean, I think the sing-along moments in this episode were strong. Like, I also, you know, really loved If You Leave Me Now. Like, that was just hilarious. So I, I think I'm going for humor this week. I really loved If You Leave Me Now, too, because it just seems so weirdly out of place with every other song that has ever been played on this show. Like, it's just so cheesy, and, like, Delilah is going to play it at night. Like, I... <laughs> it, <laughs> it was cracking so, me up. Chloe would not approve. That is not sanctioned this week's playlist. Uh -uh. So do you ladies have recommendations this week? I do. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, if you are looking, if you are uh, watching the show and needing some good, strong female empowerment in your life, uh, you should check out this book called In Praise of Difficult Women. Mm. Um, It looks, it's, it's a book that looks at 29, uh, Females who kind of dared to break the rules. Uh, everyone from like Amelia Earhart through like Frida Kahlo, just great women. Um, and it's fun because it tells like anecdotes about their life that are not traditional to, you know, just regular uh, quick study biographies. Um, and it's by Karen Carbo. 
Um, and it's a really, it's, and, and it's, it's also kind of like a fun, like beach read that you could, it, it's not heavy, um, but it's interesting. And there's a lot of uh, cool women in it and some that you've not heard of. Uh, so definitely that. And then also in support of uh, female empowerment, I recently rewatched the movie nine to five. <laughs> and uh, if you want women who may or may not be killers, if you have seen nine to that five, that movie is the definition that. of feminism. <laughs> it really is. And it is so wonderful. Uh, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton. I mean, you don't need anything more in life other than that. So those are my recommendations. So I got for you this week, uh, Leon Bridges was obviously featured in season one. River, his sophomore album, you know, a lot of sophomore albums are kind of shit. Good Thing by Leon Bridges is about as perfect as an album gets start to finish. I'm a big proponent of listening to albums start to finish. I think, you know, in this day and age, we get singles released and you don't actually get artists releasing bodies of work that are intended to be listened to beginning to end with the flow in between tracks. This is that album. Highly recommend. Good Thing. Leon Bridges. Check it out. That's awesome. So Carolyn's mention of nine to five made me want to uh, also sort of recommend Grace and Frankie, which is basically like the the Malibu two. Like it's just (laughs) it's just Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin getting up to shenanigans. But that was not my original recommendation, which is Insecure, which is also on HBO. I love Insecure. I'm like a so good. I'm a season or two behind, but um, I started watching today after I rewatched Big Little Lies, and it's just it's just so funny. And like I watched the episode where they go to Coachella today. And, like, one friend gets tased and pees herself. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's hilarious. Um, So, yeah, if you've got HBO, probably, if you're listening to this, so you should definitely be watching Insecure. Um, And with that, we'll remind you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Big Little Pod and on Twitter at Big Little Podcast and share reversed them big little podcast big little pod is twitter oh sorry i reversed them rebecca knows um yeah um yeah and tell us what you think and we want to do an episode where we answer your questions like and you know obviously our information is limited but if you have questions that you want to hear us talk about send them to us on one of those mediums and maybe we'll talk about them on an upcoming show um all right see you next week Ooh.